You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome, Church Ohana. So blessed to have you join us once again here at Reality Honolulu for our Digital House Church Gathering. Whether this is your 100th time with us or your first time, we're so thankful and uh, that you're with us and that you would join us for worship and the word. And uh, man, despite the world being so different than we're used to, right, this season that we're in, it's so hard and complex and difficult and trying. I'm always comforted that God is not phased by this, right? He isn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word is everlasting, and it's truth, and it's solid, and it's immovable. And that is the very reason why as we gather, we give ourselves to it, to the reading of it, to the studying of it, and our obedience to it, because it's Christ's will that we find in these pages. And like every Sunday, Outside of our awesome, you know, beginning and ending videos, which is absolutely my favorite part to see all your faces in your homes and um, to get your personality come out as you uh, pray us in and pray us out of service. I love that part. Um, and also with our additional incredible times of, you know, com- worship and communion, which I'm praying that you are engaging with and the presence of God is in your home. Um, outside of those, we dedicate like the middle section of our time together to get into and allow God's word to speak to us. We believe God's word is living and active and that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us through it as we read it together. And as you know, God has so graciously had us in the book of Acts since the beginning of the year, since before this COVID season. And we are continuing to move through it and we're going to be picking up where we did uh, last week. And our text today is Acts 9, 19 through 31. And I'm reading from the NIV and I'd love for you to follow along. If you have a Bible, it says this. Acts 9, 19 through 31. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Jerusalem, excuse me, living in Damascus, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas 
took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Paul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that once again, we get to see an example in your word how you transform. How you don't only save us, but that you change us. And thank you that we have this testimony of Paul's life for us to be an encouragement for us and a roadmap for our own lives. We pray that you would speak powerfully to us this morning. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, you would remember that we saw and studied the powerful example of the mercy and grace of God being poured out in the salvation or the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute the church, God arrested. He stopped Paul in his tracks and extended unconditional grace, and he got saved. And it was, it was incredible. Like this moment, this incredible moment that led to really the formation of most of the New Testament letters, right, from Paul the Apostle. This moment that we saw last week was powerful. It was unexpected. It was immediate. It was revolutionary, and it, and it turned the tables. I mean, the church was being persecuted. It was being, its existence was being threatened, and the head persecutor, a Christian killer, in a moment, in an encounter with Christ, was saved and now was a bold, courageous Jesus follower. And as we saw that last week, it really was as scripture described it. It was repentance. See, repentance is a turning away or an about face, a 180. It's turning from sin. It's turning from disobedience and selfishness and turning to follow God. It's surrendering and it's walking with him. It's turning from our own path and it's obeying Christ. And that is the very thing that we see happening with Paul. He was on a mission to end Christianity, to extinguish the church, but God's grace intervened and literally, we will see, changes him from the inside. Paul, in his letters that he would go on to write, would actually go on to describe what happens to everyone when this happens to them, when they're saved, when they're, when they're converted, when they repent, including himself. He would, a few descriptions would be, when we're saved, we are transferred from the domain of darkness 
into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Right? That we're forgiven and our sins are washed away. That we're new creations now. That the old has passed and the new has come. That we're literally born again spiritually. This is what Paul helps unpack and describes to us. And we have in the New Testament letters to describe our own salvation and what happens. But he's also speaking of himself. And again, like Paul, for those listening that are Christians, we all have our own testimony of when we gave our life to Jesus when we surrendered, when we repented of our sins, when we asked God to forgive us, and when we no longer live for ourselves but live for God. You know, I'm sure it was a lot different than on a road in the desert on your way to Syria and the Lord blinded you and scales fell off your eyes. I'm sure it was a lot different. But nonetheless, those of us that are Christians, we either have a definitive moment or a definitive time or season in our life where we got saved. Right where we believed and repented and turned from sin and we turned to God. And for those listening here today or if someone shared this video with you and you are not yet a Christian, this is also for you. This is freely given by Christ. And if God can save someone like Paul, then he can save you and I. He can save anybody. Because Paul was the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, but by God's grace, he forgave him and gave him new life in Christ. And that is exactly today what we see. Today we see this fresh start or this new beginning for Paul. And as remarkable um, these first few days or weeks or months or years of following Jesus was for Paul, as we read here, he was preaching and getting involved in the church and God was moving and using him. As remarkable as these first few days and weeks and months were of him being a Christian, it didn't come without its challenges. And mainly, it was due to the skepticism from other believers as to the genuineness or the authenticity of Paul's conversion. Right? So what, what happens is, is that Paul gets saved and he jumps right into preaching about Jesus and right into the life of the church there in Damascus. And people like, are really thrown back at this. They're thrown off. They question it. Uh, wasn't this the guy that just came to kill us? What is he doing? He just was so against the message that he's now boldly preaching. And when he gets to Jerusalem later in our story today, the same thing happens. Christians there, the church there doesn't believe him. And they take caution and they keep their distance and they really question and they don't want to be around him. And, and it, I don't think we should really get su too surprised by this, right? Because it, it's either happened to us from others or we've done it and we've thought it about others, right? Depending on how, you know, gnarly your life was before Christ or someone's else, someone else's life was before coming to know Jesus, depending how far off or 
uh, you know, just worldly or whatever you want to describe it, how far away from God they were with their lifestyle, um, we might have had the same thought. And, you know, for me growing up in a small town and, uh, you know, knowing kind of everybody in high school, when someone got saved, you, you knew, you grew up with them. You knew how much they partied and did drugs and you knew what they were about. And so when someone gave their life to the Lord, got saved, and then all of a sudden we're doing something really different, you'd be like, whoa, I don't understand. This is not you. What's going on here? And I'm sure it's the same here on island, right? Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows their life and what happened and and so when someone gets saved and their life begins to change or is different or they say it's different, there may be some hesitation or skepticism there. Especially if someone was really far from God and their lifestyle was like out of control. There might be, it might be hard to really take them in and grasp the authenticity of it. And it's because we have this ingrained perception of this person or people have this perception of us and it's not easily believable just by telling someone that you're saved or you're changed right without seeing the change in actions over a prolonged time like we too just like the church here at acts can become skeptical just by someone's words but here in acts on top of the church's reluctance to accept Paul, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, but on top of that, um, you know, to accept Paul due to his really bad reputation, which was a really bad one, one of the, one of the things that was happening there was that the very people that Paul had sided with just a few days, a few weeks before, those that were also persecuting Christians and they were trying to silence the gospel going forth, they had now aimed their sights onto Paul. Paul was like their leader or Paul was like with them against the Christians. Now, Paul's been converted. He's with the Christian. He's boldly preaching what he just was against. And so these, these others now that have been persecuting the church are now turning their sights on Paul because he has become the biggest threat to spread Christianity. And in a very short time here, we see in Damascus, just as the Lord said he would last week, the Lord is using Paul as his chosen instrument as he said he would. And it says that many Jews were believing in Jesus. Like people could not believe it. They had seen this genuine change. They were skeptical at first, but people were like, wow, I think Paul has encountered Jesus. I think he's met with him. I think he's changed. And it was coming out and he was boldly proclaiming and he was connecting dots for all these Jews that did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Paul, the educated Jew that he was, he was connecting the dots for them and God was using him powerfully with his own people to say, no, Jesus is the Messiah. 
And many were coming to faith. And because of that, Paul's life was now being threatened. And he had to leave Damascus and head to Jerusalem. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, again, not only on top of the church's reluctance, whoa, Paul, what's going on? I don't want to hang out with you. You were just going to kill me before. On top of the church's reluctance, he also had to deal with similar threats. And he also, also had to then, it got so bad, he had, had to escape to Caesarea, back to Tarsus, his hometown for a while to lay low so that he didn't get killed himself. Um, it's kind of a rough start, an introduction to Christianity for Paul, right? Pretty rough. But in one sense, right, he was getting a taste of his own medicine. He was relating. He was experiencing the type of persecution that he himself had inflicted. But by God's grace, God saved him and given him a second chance and a new beginning. And there's just a few things I want to point out for us. And uh, there's three short points for application for our own lives that I want us to get from this. Number one is... If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, that we should allow God's grace to continue to change us. Right? It is true, as Paul would say in his letter to the church in Ephesus, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's speaking of personal experience. It's grace that I'm saved, and it's grace that you're saved. It's nothing that we've done to earn it. All right, that's the gospel. But, but yes, God's grace initially saves, but God also doesn't stop there. See, a part of what God desires is he desires to do a continued work of sanctification in each of our lives. And that word sanctification is just a big term for becoming more like Jesus. And sanctification is a process. It happens over time. And it's a process of cleaning up our life after we get saved. Not by our own doing. It's not like we just got to clean ourselves up now. No, it's by, it's by God's grace that he does this. And it's by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit that we grow, that we continue to turn from sinful things and our life begins to glorify and honor God more. And I know some of our testimonies are different than others, right? Some of us were had addictions and we were addicted to things and that the moment we were saved, God freed us from that and we were able to, to have like an immediately changed life in certain areas. For some of us, it's different. We have different struggles and different sin habits and, and, and over time, God begins to break those down. Either way, the most important thing that I want us to know is that we are a work in progress. We aren't to compare ourselves to other people, but we're, we're supposed to let God's word and his spirit and his grace continue to transform us into the image of God. That we would deny sin, we would turn from sin, and we continue to live lives to give God glory and honor. 
See, God is working in us to make us more like himself. And as each of our lives begin to look more like Christ's and less like the sinful life that we used to live, right, apart from Christ, the effect is that people notice and especially those that are close to us, that know us really well, that know us especially before we knew Christ. When they see us living now, when they see it's different, people notice, especially those that are closest to us. And the greatest effect may take place with our friends and our family that know our life prior. Again, because our changed life, our sanctified life, a life that no longer lives for us but lives for Christ, what it does is it becomes a powerful testimony of God in us. And that's what happens with Paul. And it can happen and it should happen with us also. And I want to encourage us this season to receive and walk in that new life and that new beginning God has given us. And again, that's regardless of how long you've been a Christian. I want to encourage us that we would cultivate and grow in becoming more like Christ. So I want to challenge us to assess our growth, a growth. Assess areas where we need more growth. And ask God to grow us. Ask God, hey, hey, you know what? I haven't been dealing with that. I, I, I know I need to lay that down. I need, know I need to like not do that anymore. Guys, now's the time to surrender those things. To say, God, I want to grow. I want to be continually sanctified and become more like you. Number two, looking at this text, something I want to point out for us for application is number two is, Get plugged into a local church community. Get plugged into a local church community. Look at Paul. This is where I get this from. Look at Paul and what he did. This was and is of utmost importance. He lived it. He wrote about it. He dedicated his life to it. And it was the church. What what Paul tried to do immediately after he got saved was to try to be a part of the church and the Christian community around him. He tried to get plugged into the life and the mission of the church, right? There was some skepticism. There was some reluctancy on the church receiving him, but nonetheless, he knew it is vital for my health it is crucial and it is essential for a follower of Christ to be in local Christian community. And again, there are so many reasons why this is critical to the health of the Christian and of the church. And most of Paul's 13 letters of the New Testament can tell you this. But my strong conviction as a Christian and as a pastor is that Christians have to be plugged in to a local church community. Again, it's not good enough to do it on your own. I've heard, I, I've heard all the cases why. I, I, it's, it's, it's not in the Bible. It's not supposed to be. I understand it's easier. Maybe there's, you know, 
whatever you have gripes with the church, whatever, you know, bad experiences. I don't want, I'm not discrediting or devaluing your experiences, but it is essential, it is crucial, it's necessary that you do not do your Christianity on your own. You will become malnourished, your growth will be stunted, and you will not be used to the fullest. And it's because, as God designed it, we are to do life in community, in relationship. And as hard as that can be, and it's hard, it's hard to do life with people. It's hard to do church with people. It's hard to be in any relationship, but it's how God planned it, and it's good and right and healthy that we do so. And really why it's so important to get plugged into a church family, just put simply, is you're confronted like you wouldn't if you weren't in community. It doesn't seem like a fun reason, but it's a good reason. It's for our own personal growth. We get to see the gospel played out because we are really different. And we do have problems and issues and we, we, we think differently. and We have different things that are important to us. And so when we are in community, we get to be confronted with our junk, with our stuff, with our differences, with our sin. And lovingly, we get to be corrected and called out and edified and built up and encouraged. And if we weren't in community, that, that just wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. And as hard as that is, it's so good that we're challenged and encouraged and built up and corrected and, and that we grow. But also is when you're in a church community, you're used more than you ever would be. I believe, than if you weren't. You see needs. You're connected to people in relationship and you get to be able to be a part of meeting those needs. You get to be a part of a community that cares for each other and prays and gives to one another and, and really is the church. And that just would be entirely missing if you weren't in a church community. And I believe why it's so important to be plugged into the church community and why Paul did is you love God more and you love each other more. And as hard as it is right now that I'm saying this, because it's all digital and online and through your TV and your computer and your iPhone, as hard as it is right now to get plugged in, I want to encourage you to try your hardest to reach out to like us personally, to me personally, pastor, help me do this. Help me get more plugged in. I want to help you. I want, I want, I want you to feel plugged in. I want you to be a part of this. Again, this doesn't have to be a reality thing. Like, I'm not just preaching, like, let's just, everyone come to reality. I know we're a one piece of God's big church, and there's so many awesome churches here on Oahu, and I commend people for going there. It's not a reality thing. This is like a Christian biblical thing. Regardless of what church you go to, you got to get plugged into a local community and commit to it. I can't stress that enough. And I pray that, um, that you would. I pray that you, you, if you don't, if you're listening to this and you're on Oahu, if you are a part of reality, get plugged in. If, if you're still thinking, cool, I'll pray that God leads you and places you where you're supposed to. Again, we're, we're all part of the kingdom here and reality is just a small part of that. But let's take Paul's lead and get plugged in and involved with a local church ohana. Amen? So important. And lastly... 
Number three, one of my favorites, is we need to be a Barnabas to others. Man, what, what Barnabas did here is so cool. So honorable. Did you see it? What he did was he stuck up for Paul. He vouched for his conversion. Like he stood with him. He convinced others so that Paul would feel welcomed. I mean, can you imagine how isolated Paul would feel? Right? He just got saved. That's really foreign. That's new. And nobody's accepting him. Like his, 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 his old friends, so to speak, that were the persecutors now hated him. And now the church is being reluctant to, reluctant to accept him. Like, just put yourself in that for a second. Barnabas comes alongside and he says, no, 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 we got to accept him. I understand your reluctance, but I, I'm vouching for him and we need to welcome him and we need to accept him into the family of God. And what a lesson here, right? Especially when someone gets saved with a really heavy and dark past, when they're rough around the edges, this is an exhortation for us to extend grace, to believe them, to include them, and make them feel accepted and welcomed. And I'm going to say this in the nicest way I can. I've been a pastor in full-time ministry for almost 15 years now. And we have a lot to grow in this area when it comes to Christians and their acceptance and welcoming and making people feel comfortable and when they're newly saved and they're new to the church. And as much as we say we're loving and inclusive, churches have overall become what seems to be elite clubs that are unwelcoming and unfriendly if someone's different or unlike them or unknown or even when they have a bad past. And I would love, again, I can only speak to reality Honolulu, I would love if each of us would attempt to be more like Barnabas in this. That we would just take time to assess how we treat and act, uh, act towards others that are different from us, that are rough around the edges, that are new, that have a, that have a heavy past, a dark past. My desire as your pastor and for us as a church is that we would be a picture of this, that by grace, People are getting saved by grace. We're growing and by grace, we love others well. That's what I believe we see here in these verses today. Church, I want to live these out. Let's pray that God saves. Let's pray that we grow and let's pray that we treat others well. Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's good. Thank you that we can trust in it and we can base our lives upon it. And Holy Spirit, we do ask that you'd continue to make us more like you, that you would continue to help us free us from sin and disobedience and selfishness, and that we would continue to be refined and sanctified to become more like Christ, that our life and our speech and our thoughts would honor and glorify you more, that our priorities would be more in line, would be in line with your word, that we would decrease so that you would increase. We pray as we worship now and as we take communion that you'd be exalted in our homes, that our eyes would be fixed upon you. We love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.